The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking... And welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am your host, JP John Paz. And with me today, very special guest, a former Monster Factory heavyweight champion, Monster Factory tag team champion. Of course, he's a former WWE and NXT superstar. He is Steve Macklin, a.k.a. Steve Cutler. Welcome to the two-man power trip. How you doing? I'm doing good, Al. Thanks for having me. Now... What have you been up to? Because I feel like a little bit of a whirlwind, obviously, you know, the release and then, you know, the interviews come out and all this other stuff. But what have you been up to? What's going on in your world? Just uh, focusing on me for once. Um, it's kind of been the fun part about it. I've said it in some interviews previously before that. I've kind of been sticking strict to how many interviews I do just because obviously telephone game will play out in the world of wrestling and then. I want my voice to be heard, and that's kind of been how it's been for the 90 days. So now I get to speak my mind and say uh, my side of the story on everything. So just focusing on me, focusing on my family, and getting life together and ready to go uh, hit the road here soon. Nice. I know you're a fellow Jersey guy. We're opening up a little bit, thank God, and you know, yeah. starting to get back to normal, right, a little bit? Yeah, it's good that because you, you're in Asbury Park, too. That was a fun day. Yeah. Uh, wrestling in Asbury Park was a lot of fun, uh, even when NXT, we ran a few shows there. That was a good time up there, but um, yeah, I'm glad Jersey's open up. I got family still there, so I know uh, Murphy isn't a you know he is not a baby face, but <laughs> he's finally opening up. So hopefully, uh, yeah. we get things back to our normal lives. Yeah, what you do? Florida's a different world. I can say that. I was gonna say you're probably not even used to because right, Florida's been pretty much open this whole time. Yeah, lockdowns were normal. Uh, kind of everything, when everything shut down down here, everything was good. Um, a lot of businesses shut down. Uh, so it was a lot of Uber Eatsing. Uh, Deanna and I just kind of stuck to who we were. And it's kind of funny when the lockdowns happened. We're like, wow, we really socially distanced naturally anyway. So I think a lot of people realize that too. And then you kind of picked up things of like, wow, actually we shouldn't do that or type of thing with just cleaning habits. And it's kind of funny when you notice when all the lockdowns happened. Yeah. But yeah, uh, this whole COVID thing has been a whirlwind, but it's also in many ways a blessing in disguise to open the minds to just acting different in real life. For sure. She's a Jersey girl, right? She's from yeah. New Jersey. Yeah. Small world that we met down here, here in Florida. So. <laughs> yeah, 
two Jersey people and all of a sudden converse down in Florida and you meet down there. Yeah. Yeah. It's small world. Is that how you connected though? Cause you're the Jersey connection. That's kind of how it went. Yeah. Kind of, we just kind of started talking and just, yeah, just had that Jersey connection and most of the connection off of uh, talking sons of anarchy. Cause that was one of our favorite shows and I was small talk there, but then I don't know. It's kind of how it hit off. Nice. Yeah. She obviously very successful impact oh, yeah. champion oh, and everything else. So she's doing very well. Yeah. She's, she's kicking oh, yeah. it. She's doing her thing and I'm proud of her. Love her to death. And I can't even wait to see what else she does. Now, New Jersey, obviously I mentioned monster factory. You're a monster factory guy, many, many names, including where I'm from and are living now Asbury park. Bam yeah. Bam Bigelow was a big monster factory. I mean, there's so many great guys that came out of the monster factory. When you're from Jersey and you're like, okay, I want to be a wrestler. Is that your mindset? Like, I got to go monster factory. No, uh, it's kind of funny. I never even knew about the monster factory until uh, after I started looking for schools down in South Jersey when I was going to college at Rowan University. And one of my friends, uh, Jarrett, growing up, got me in touch with the school. Actually, it was funny. Uh, D2W. I uh, was running up north. Uh, Damien Adams uh, was the head trainer at that time there. And at Small World, Dion and I probably would have ran into each other at some point then as well, but didn't. And um, Jared got me up there, and it just wasn't going to work out for commute for me, for going to school at Rowan during the day and then having the nights to train. I was just like, how can I do this? And I found the Monster Factory and uh, learned up on the history of it, and I was like, holy crap. So uh, this seems like a pretty good school to go to, especially when Larry was still there at that time. And Danny Cage just took over. And at that time, they weren't in Paulsboro right away. Now they are. Uh, but where they were was just a little bit up the road, um, a little north of Paulsboro. But uh, it was like a little rinky-dink warehouse, like any most wrestling schools are at times. It's just you get the 20 by 20 inside a ring, uh, inside some cheap little warehouse, and it's a little sweat box. So. It's funny, though. Sometimes you have, like, grand illusions of some place like oh monster factory oh my god it must be some rich place yeah it's so famous but even like people that are like oh the ecw arena you're like well it wasn't really uh, that nice yeah it's kind of shithole it's the same thing it could be like the monster factory it's like yeah it's probably not as nice as you think yeah no but danny danny found a good uh spot now for where he ended up with larry's uh place and i'm sure larry um god rest him but uh, i'm sure he'd be very happy where we are now with where Danny has the monster factor in Paulsboro, especially with the wrestling school that's there. They have the whole setup there with the wrestling mats and it's very wrestling oriented. They have the full gym. It's a great facility that it does have uh, for most people on the independence. I don't think a lot of people get that. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That appreciation of what you could have and what you can have. A lot of places don't have gyms or running shower, or any of that. Gotcha. Which, which sucks, obviously, but uh, yeah, especially after a match, you're all sweaty and smelly, and you got to drive a few hours or go to the hotel and wait. But it's what it is, but it's nice to have that there. And uh, Danny takes care of good of his students, and he he runs that place like he wants to run it. And I don't just I don't hate on him for any of that. Did you always want to be a wrestler? Was that always like the goal? Yeah, when I was little, it just was one of those things I always wanted to do, especially collecting wrestling figures, always playing outside, watching my grandparents. And they're the ones really that kind of got me into wrestling was my grandparents on my dad's side because I lived in a two-family house with them. And my mom and dad worked day and night shift. Uh, my mom's a nurse and my dad worked down in uh, one of the plants down at Pfizer in the Meadowlands. And my dad worked during the day. My mom nursed at night. So I was with my grandparents most of the time. 
So I'd be sitting downstairs on the porch and they just put wrestling on. And my grandmother loved Roddy Piper, Andre the Giant. And I grew up in that era of just these larger than life characters. And I just wanted to do it so bad. And you never thought in a million years that you could, because here I am a six foot white guy from New Jersey. Just like, how, how can I do that when you have a guy like Hulk Hogan or ultimate warrior running around? I was like, how do you look like that? But obviously the times change and the generational and athleticism of everything going into wrestling now has gone into different spectrums of it's, it's more of an athletic base instead of the showmanship as much nowadays. Granted the showmanship is still there. It's the key part of anything we do, but the athleticism and being able to go 365 and a year and it's, it's that's the toll on the body. Yeah. It's definitely changed from the, you know, the Hogan, the big John studs, like Andre's the big guys, like I'm never getting in. And nowadays six foot, you're, you were kind of not maybe WB wise, but at a WB, you're going to see, you might be one of the bigger guys. Yeah. Even when I got in the Indies, when I started at the monster factory, I was always one of those guys. Everybody's like, Oh, what do you, we're like, Oh, what are you on? Like, what do you do? I'm like, I lift weights. I just got out of the Marine Corps. I was like, I'm trying to be a professional wrestler. I think this is what professional wrestlers should look like. Uh, I don't know. But it's also, it's just how whatever flavor you, you you see yourself as. And that's the thing is that anything can happen in pro wrestling. You can look the way you want. You can act the way you want. And that's the fun of it. And it's whatever the crowd gravitates toward is what gets over. Having that Marine Corps background, is that why you're you know so dedicated and why you're able to stay in, in great shape and stuff? You think that plays a part in it? Probably it instilled a little bit of more discipline in me. Uh, just I was already disciplined pretty much uh, on the side of taking care of myself, probably from how I was raised by my mom. She ran a tight ship in the house where it was laundry and taking care. Everything was always constantly clean in that sense of cleanliness, but I always kind of took care of myself. Uh, once I kind of hit 15, 16, playing football in high school and even wrestling uh, amateur I really got into weights and that's one thing that I've, I loved and just watching wrestling. I get the old wrestling magazines and you see how Hunter looked everybody at that time is just looking jacked out of their minds. You're just like, ah, oh, that's just like, I don't know. You envy it. So you, you want to emulate it. And you got Arnold. I grew up on the whole Schwarzenegger Van Dam. You got that whole action hero uh, generation of the eighties and nineties collabing. And it's just, that's the way the culture was at that time. So I always kind of wanted to be a fit guy. And then when I was about 18 is when I really hit the weights hard. And then the Marine Corps just, that was my time off and my getaway was going to the gym. And that's where I would say discipline came in just because of myself. It allowed me to escape and kind of get away, but it also kept me in shape. I bet wrestling training was kind of easy for you, right? After the Marine Corps, you're probably like, oh, this is easy. This is nothing. No, no. Um, it kicks the crap out of you, especially Danny at first, because it was times where I'd get to the factory and it'd be only me or Anthony Bennett at that time uh, was at the factory wrestling. And uh, it'd be either him or I, and we're constantly always training. I was there every day. We'd have to either tear down the ring or set up the ring. And then most of the times it was just me. So Danny, a lot of times would just say, hey, just get the crash dummy and drop a leg 50 times, see how it feels. And then drop an elbow 50 times, see how that feels. Keep working on it. And then after a couple of days of doing that and seeing the welts on my legs and not being able to walk properly, I'm like, ah, I don't know if I want to drop a leg 50 times anymore. I go, see, that's how you know it kind of hurt. You learn the hard way. And that's what he was kind of teaching me in that lesson too. It feels like, you know, the, the Marine Corps, it can definitely get you ready. But I guess wrestling training is like nothing else. Because you always hear that from the guys. Like, oh, it's so much different. Like your lungs sometimes, you know, you get the feeling from the – and sometimes you get scrapes from the ropes. It's different yeah. than anything else you could probably experience 
Yeah, and that's one of the things too is like you can train as much as you want outside of a ring to try to be in shape, but you there's a ring shape, and that's one of the things is you got to be in ring shape. And the only way to get better in the ring is to be in the ring consistently and working on it. And that's one thing I've been trying to do with my off time again is getting in a ring mostly down here in uh, Pro Wrestling 2.0 that's down here in Orlando um, helps me out a lot with let me get some time there in the ring. And it's I'm very thankful for that, too, that they allow me to come in and kind of train even during my time still with WWE. That was kind of where we went because you weren't allowed to go to the PC because of COVID uh, policies and everything with trying to stay away from everybody, but being smart about it. Alex, the pug Porto. Yes. Right. Yep. Alex, good, good guy. And I, I can't thank him enough still for at pro wrestling 2.0 for letting me get in there. Just talked to him. I want to say maybe two months ago when he was talking about how WB and him have a great relationship where like the guys can just come and train if they can't get in the PC or whatever. So I just thought that was fascinating because you don't, you know, you can't think, okay, Porto's over here. They probably don't know him about him or people forget about him, but, that's awesome. You're out there training and he's helping guys out. Yeah. And it's, it's, you just got to find a ring. And like I said, that's the only way to get better is being in a ring and that helps with timing. It helps with just your bump. Like I know there's a bump card. Everybody talks about in wrestling and it's one of those things where you got to consistently keep that callus of bumping too, because if you're not bumping, you're not working in a ring for a few months here or there. Like for Blake and I, we were out for a while uh, waiting to get back on TV. And that's why we're like, well, we have to get in the ring because we got to be ready when the, our number is called. So it's just one of those things. You just got to always be ready. Not everybody's like The Undertaker where they have this gigantic shed. They're like, um, I need a ring. <laughs> I said, I'm a ring. And he can work out. Nobody else can do that. I wish. I wish. One day, maybe. How do you get noticed by NXT? Like as, as you're going through your training and stuff, like who sees you? How do you get noticed? Is that Danny Cage pushing? Yeah, for you Dan, Danny got Danny got the foot in the door with getting uh, with uh, Gerald Briscoe. So I started training at the Monster Factory in May of 2012. I had a tryout, and then I took a, about a month and a half, two months off because uh, I was trying to go for New Jersey State Police at that time as well. And then I got denied with that uh, for uh, my application and everything on that. Um, and Danny gave me a call back, said, hey, it was around August time. Why don't you come back, get in here? I was all right, cool. Went back, uh, got into training there every day. Just I put all my cards in the – like just I, I was all in on it. And my first match was that November. And then that July of 2013, uh, Joe Briscoe came out for a seminar. And it was kind of funny too because I'm handing out flyers at Money in the Bank 2013 at um, – uh, what is it? And uh, the Wells Fargo Center in Philly and out in the parking lot, just handing out flyers and people like, oh, you're on the show. I'm like, yeah, I'm on the show. And just hand like it's just one of those things where I never thought in a million years. And it's got the Gerald Briscoe seminar on it. Next day he comes in and we just sat for a few hours, talked and we hit it off. And he Danny helped me out a lot with letting him know who I was and what I was and where my head was at. And we got to run the seminar there. And then we had a show later that night, too. And then he told me, don't go train anywhere else. He said, don't go any more bookings. Stay here. Work on fundamentals. He's like, I'll take care of you. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, why would you not listen to that? Right. So, because it's Joe Briscoe. And you just, you're going to take his word for it. So, uh, that was July, August. I had my tryout of 2013. And then I got signed as I was on my way to extra work in October of 2013 up in Buffalo. I got the call from Canyon Seaman as I was driving to Buffalo to do extra work for a pay-per-view raw and SmackDown. So it was kind of cool like to go there and then know I was hired, but then still do the extra work. 
uh, which was yeah. kind of because Dusty remembered me when we got to the pay-per-view and he's like, Oh, Steve, I remember you from your tryout. And like, it was cool to see that. And Cody was there and Dustin was there and just everybody. And then, uh, Darren Young, Fred, a uh, good friend. He just kind of introduced me to everybody, letting them know I just got signed. So I wasn't really treated as an extra in a way. I was kind of treated more as like, Oh, we just signed him. And everybody was very accepting and very cool too. Like when you get to meet people, you expect certain things and you obviously you're a green kid here is this newcomer coming in type thing. But everybody was very accepting and the culture was great uh, in that time. And then I started January of 2014 at the Performance Center. So Canyon Seaman is really the guy who's making the call, though, saying like, if yeah. you're starred, here's what you got to do. Yeah, Canyon was kind of the guy. And Canyon's an awesome dude. I'm, uh, he was always good to me. Uh, we always got along. So. That, yeah, he was always the guy that made the calls and let us know about contracts, and he took care of the, the paper side of everything. So interesting to me, just him in general, because he's not a wrestling guy, right? Isn't he a volleyball guy? Yeah, he came from volleyball, but uh, I think he's turned into a wrestling fan, obviously. But he's also, I think, his his mind and his eyes of uh, what he sees is as a talent scout pretty much as well in signing. He looks on the broad spectrum of things, because now you got to look at NXT as more of on the cusp of – setting up brands globally instead of territorially. Like, yeah, that's true. I always thought that was interesting with him. It's like, you know, you got Johnny Ace, the guy's been in the business his whole yeah. life, you know, then you can't, can't see like, where did this guy come from? Isn't it volleyball? It's interesting. Like the aspect and where they want to go with him. Like you're right. It's totally different than just wrestling. Yeah. It's, it's the whole broad spectrum. That's the point of the performance center too. While I was there is like, it brought every walk of life in there. It wasn't just wrestling. They wanted to see where they can pull from because then it opens up in another avenue of uh, talent. Like you got, uh, you got talent like Bianca Belair. She came from track. She was a track star, CrossFit. Um, who else is another one uh, that was an athlete? Uh, like Mojo. Mojo came from the NFL. Baron Corbin came from the NFL. Like that's also the avenue that's always been with wrestling, though. Too most football players end up going there, and it, a lot of the times you see a tryouts. And I ran a few of the tryouts there at the PC for years where a lot of the talent was coming in from former NFL players or guys that were trying to go to Canadian league. And you're just trying to see their athleticism because you know, they're dedicated to something and they just want to see if they're, they can tap into it and what they can do in a ring too. Yeah. Even AJ Francis. Now he's a yeah. former NFL guy. Yeah. Yeah. He was a good guy. Uh, I actually want to say I ran his uh, tryout. I think so. I don't know. I ran a lot of tryouts. I remember a lot of talent, but uh, yeah, he's a nice guy. Cause um, I do some indies and stuff, or I did some indies. I was just a manager for a couple of guys, and we were working with him that night. Man, so nice. I'm just like, who, you know, who am I? Whatever. But and I knew he, or he just basically announced it's going to be his last show. He's moving on. He got signed by NXT and stuff. But could have been nicer to everybody. Was very respectful, to everybody. That's always a good thing. Uh, WWE is getting really good at uh, getting a good culture in there too, especially at the PC. And that's again, Canyon, Matt Bloom, and all them. They bring in a good culture of talent that wants to come in, be respectful, and they really look into that as well on how they act and how they treat people. So I always have like a running joke with all the guys. Like I've interviewed Dolph Ziggler before and a bunch of other guys. Like, where did the names come from of like the the NXT and the FCW guys? You know, it's like, is it a name generator? Uh, a few guys have said, oh man, I forget who it was, but he said it was basically they gave him a list of names. And he came back and they gave him 10 and he, they came back and they gave him five. And it was like a process. Like how does, how do you get the name? Is it a name generator? Is somebody giving you names? No. So that's very similar. Cause uh, Byron Saxon at that time was doing commentary in NXT when I was there in 2014, I started and uh, he was kind of doing the side work for dusty along with Ryan Katz. 
uh, back in the creative side of everything. And he came up to me, he said, Hey, just generate like a list of names, maybe like 15 to 20 names that you think maybe that you would like. And it's like, okay, cool. And it has to go through a legal process obviously too. And they have to trademark it. So I went overboard. Like I always do with a lot of things. I gave a list of like a hundred names. And what I did was just go on Google and I just was Googling my favorite movies. And I'll take this actor, like a character's first name and then a character's last name of my favorite ones. And it's just like, I think Duke Hazard was one I liked. Uh, <laughs> it was like a stupid one. I like. I just thought the name Duke would have been cool. I don't know. It's it, create a wrestler. You're playing that whole thing of like yep. making up a character. And uh, that hundred list came back and they said, Hey, can you give us a little bit less on another list, but get us another list. So I gave 50. Hey, another, and again, I gave about 20. And then after the 20 list, they said, okay, cool. You have these 10 names. I said, okay, cool. I like these top five. And then it came back and then Bill DeMott goes, you have the choice between these two. One was Alton Wolf, was A-L-T-O-N, and then Wolf with an E, or Steve Macklin. Or uh, no, I'm sorry, not Steve Macklin, Steve Cutler. And I'm like, all right, how does this work? How does this, how does this work in a spectrum of pro wrestling? So I put it on a piece of paper and I write it down. Obviously, I'm signing my name, seeing how it would work. I can't write Alton Wolf out. And I'm trying to like say Alton Wolf. Like it sounds cool. But then you put it in a name of like Shawn Michaels, Stone Cold, Bret Hart. You want to put it up there like on a marquee like name that can be there. And like everybody talks about these generic names that come out of there. But a lot of them end up working out. Like John Cena could have been a generic name at some time when people are like, oh, what the hell? But then now look where he's at. Like it's uh, it's one of those things that just kind of works out. So Steve Cutler was born uh, instead of Alton Wolf. And I don't I, even. I got the nickname Cuddy out of it, so I love that. It was just I was never Steve Cutler or Cutler or just Cuddy. I just don't get like some of the names. Like what is Alton? I never heard that name before. No, and that wasn't even on my list at all. So it's just kind of funny that it came out of nowhere. Like I like even Dolph Ziggler. Like what does that come from? Like so random and weird. He and made it just, work though. Yeah, they just generate it from a legal system, and then that's how that works, and for trademarking purposes. So you're good with Steve Cutler, you know, as you're going in and, and going along. Yeah, who, I was, I was in, I was all in on it. So who's like the main guy there? Is it Bill Demont at this point, as far as training uh, wise? Yeah, Bill Demont was the head coach at that time of the PC, in uh, when I started in 2014, um, you had Nick Dinsmore, Robbie Brookside, Norman Smiley, Terry Taylor. Um, Sarah Motto, uh, Joey Murky was still there, and uh, Billy Gunn was still there, and that was like the main uh, the main coaching staff there at that time. And then you had Dream, uh, Ryan Katz still running. Ryan Katz is still there as well. Uh, awesome human being, um, helped me out so much with just the creative side of trying to create promos and everything through the whole process of my time in the PC. So I can't thank him enough on that too. And what's it like being with Dusty? That's got to be a cool experience. Dusty was great. He got me instant. Like he even asked me one time, he goes, why are you doing this from where you've come? He's like, why do you want to get in this world? I was like, I just love pro wrestling. I was like, I, I fell in love with it when I first started training. And he goes, all right. <laughs> it was just funny. Cause he's just like, how do you go to combat twice? And then want to do this. I'm like, I, I couldn't tell you I'm living life. But he was great because he was just a uh, larger-than-life character day in and day out at the PC. And he always brightened up a room. And uh, even at promo class, he was always fun just because he wanted to see what was going on. Even though he kind of knew what was going on, but he always wanted to dig in for the dirt. Yep. 
And it was always cool because promo classes were run Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. Uh, so you had like your beginners Monday and then like the intermediates on Tuesday and then TV talent was Wednesdays. And at that time I had to go, if you were new, you went to all three. And then after a while they said, you don't have to come to all three, but I would still go to all three because you never know when you're going to get called up for a promo. And always trying to be, as always, just have something in your back pocket and ready to go. And at that time it always looked good too because the way DeMott ran the place was pretty a tight ship. So if you wanted to be there, you you were there. When he is doing these promo classes, I know on some of the documentaries, they'll show short clips of basically everybody is around. Dusty calls somebody up and then he's, is he grading them or like, what is, what's he doing? He's just helping you create. And he's trying to find that range or trying to find that voice of something inside you. So a lot of times he'll like tell you to cut a promo and then I'll kind of pull you to the side and he would just be like, all right, I want you to say it like this like slow this part down. Like, let me feel this, like concentrate on this kind of, like he was really good at finding those moments and just finding somebody's range as well of, and cadence, I should say too. Cause he always used to tell me, he's like, Oh, you have this, like this machine gun, like cadence where like, I like to rapid fire, throw things out and make my point and let it kind of breathe. And it was like where he finds your strengths and even makes your weaknesses into strengths, which he's always really good at too. And he was just so smart with it. And he also would challenge you too to come in and do something way out of the ordinary where he would give you assignments week to week. And a lot of times he's just like, I want you to keep doing this. And there was the mirror room in the PC too, which was great at that time. It was mandatory to do uh, day, I forget, like maybe two or three a day. Um, Cause DeMott was pretty strict on it, but you were in there and you're cutting promos and that's where I prepare for promos. And I was in my car still cutting promos or going home and showering to go back to the PC to cut promos and still to this day, I'll cut promos even on my own if I'm in the gym. Like I probably look like a head, just a nutcase in the gym <laughs> just because I'm either like kind of going through the motions of a match or something or like kind of talking to myself or I'm on my phone writing something down. And that's thanks to just dream on that of instilling that into a lot of talent. And Regal is another one that um, William Regal was always really good at telling people to do that as well. Is that like a lot of fun when you do a pro or is that a lot of like nervousness or a lot of pressure that, you know, they're all, everyone's around and Dusty's kind of there, not analyzing, but obviously he's trying to help, but it seems like, man, that'd be pressure packed situation. They, they just kind of throw you up and they don't really kind of give you any guidance at first. Right. I mean, they just like, yeah, yeah. no, you just kind of throw stuff at the wall and that's, you see what sticks. And that's, the, it was weird at first. Cause you're in front of your peers and you're in front of people that you really don't know yet, obviously. And then it's funny how it becomes like more of a challenge. Cause you know, you feel more uncomfortable in front of your peers but yet we can go out into a live crowd and not care about anything. Like it's, I don't know. It's a weird thing that you're just performing in front of your peers is always a weirder thing. Cause you also want to go kill it too. Cause you want to prove to everybody that you're wanting to be better than them and not in the, like, not in a bad way. You're just like, you're all competing for a spot and that's just how it is. And yeah, it was just always fun. I had fun with it. First few months were kind of nerve wracking cause you're trying to find your groove and, you don't want to step on toes type thing and you want to be the new guy and just keep quiet and do your thing. But after a while, you just kind of find the groove and where you're at. And then you just, you go in and do your job day in and day out and get better as much as you can. Cause I think they were showing a clip on, on the network of like Bray Wyatt just getting up there and being like, you know, just absolutely crazy with some of the stuff he was saying, but obviously some of that stuff ends up being his character and being used for TV. And that's like, that's again, like you're just throwing things against the wall and you're finding things that work. 
And that's some things come out of the craziest things a lot of the times. That's why, like, on Wednesdays, sometimes before TVs, well, most of the time before TVs at that time, because NXT taped four weeks at full sale at that time. So a lot of the times, the Illuminaries, it was called Wednesdays, everybody has to come in and then they have their top TV talents or a talent they wanted to have ready to go on TV and pitch ideas pretty much to creative. And they would have kind of a lot of higher ups and production teams come down and watch promo class. Michael Cole was there. Chris Chambers was there. And it was really kind of cool because like you got to give them something that they haven't seen and they already kind of know familiar faces, but then for them to know who you are and you wanted to cut a promo that night. And if your name was called, you wanted to go knock it out of the park. And that's where I think the heart of that time in NXT really came from was everybody just wanting to go in and hit a home run every time they got a chance. And that's why you got those creative characters like the vaude villains, uh, your Becky Lynch's, your Bailey's, your Sasha's, like everybody kind of came out of that group that was doing those classes and going out there and just busting their ass. Like there's a lot of gem, like hidden gem stuff that will probably never see the light of day that a lot of people have done. Uh, I know I have just doing things in promo class that'll never see the light of day out of there, but it's also helped us along the way. Cause it just lets you open yourself up a little bit and be a little vulnerable to just trying things. Where's triple H and all this? Is he easily accessible? Is he kind of all over the place or is he hard to get a hold of? He was hard to get at that time. Uh, you really only kind of saw him TV days or if he was coming down to work out like the day before TV, he was very rare to see down at the PC until NXT was, you only saw him really at TVs, which was taped four weeks at that time. But then once NXT was kind of every two weeks started to get taping, we had a taping or two a month at one time. But around 16, 17, once NXT really took over on the network, um, you saw Hunter a lot more. Yeah, it feels like that's his baby. You know what I mean? Like NXT is his. Yep. The Performance Center is his his idea. I know Vince obviously is the big boss. He's, he's the man with the, the money. But it feels like that is Triple H's his, his thing. Well, you also got to think, too, even at that time when I was there from 2014 through the Daniel Bryan time of the Yes movement and all that, Hunter was still kind of com competing and still on Raw and SmackDown consistently, too. So he was juggling everywhere and he was all over the world. And it was cr it's crazy that he, he is just like Vince in that way of they never sleep. Yeah, it's weird. You see him posting that he's uh, working out at midnight or whatever. It's like, what? Well, you got to get it in when you can. Yep. So when do you get on TV? Like when do, you, do they figure out the gimmick and, and the character to get on NXT TV? So my first match uh, really didn't have a gimmick yet. I was kind of doing uh, a full on uniform uh, military. I was still being a Marine pretty much, but dream liked it. He said, wear a uniform, see how that looks and cut promos that way. And then we kind of started to walk in the line of as a heel, I was doing promos, but then on live events, I was being a baby face. Uh, my first TV match was against, uh, which we'll call it juice Robinson now, but at the time was CJ Parker and went out. I got, it was in the middle of a tryout and Demarco goes, what are you doing here? I'm like, Oh, I'm just, you told me to be here today. I'm working the tryout. He goes, no, 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 no. He's like, you're on TV today. You got to work. I'm like, Oh, awesome. Like here I am four or five months in. I'm like, I get to go work TV. Granted it was like a squash match for CJ or Joey at that time. But um, it's just was great to have that experience and kind of get on TV and, the guy then to where I am now, whew, what a difference. <laughs> it's kind of um, just where my mindset is and the thought process on everything and how to work TV and learning what I did throughout my time in WWE, especially with that style. And then even the styles coming into the WWE from outside, from all the indies and NXT.
It's crazy. The one thing you always hear is like NXT or WWE in general will get you ready for the production side of like the TV side of where to look for the cameras when you're walking down the entranceway. Be aware of the cameras because other promotions, other leagues, you can tell are not used to the production value of like, oh, the camera's this way. I got to, you know, you got to mug for the camera, whatever. They teach you all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you kind of also just kind of learn it on your own if you're asking questions. A lot of time, even at TVs, you'd be sitting ringside kind of watching. And I always like to kind of watch. And I really like I, I'm not one to ask a million questions, but I'm always kind of watching just to see like I can tell who knows what they're doing and who doesn't. I think a lot of people are, are pretty good at that. So it was always one to kind of just watch. I'd like to watch Hunter and like how he directed people how to do things or just seeing Terry Taylor calling things and how to produce match. And then um, even Joey Mercury was great at calling, like just the way he produced, I'd always listen to him. And then Billy Gunn too at that time. And then as time went on, it just kind of, once we were on TV more and I was getting on TV more, you kind of, okay, cool. You kind of sit next to the ring now instead of ringside and you just listen and you kind of see how everybody does things. Um, yeah. It's you just you kind of have to learn on your own, too, even though you can ask a million questions. You don't want to be the annoying one. Granted, probably some people don't mind that. But I, I would I would mind that if you're going over your match. And I'm asking why you're doing this, because they got a million things going on with promos and other tape match later on. But like it's just watching and seeing who knows what they're doing. And you're learning that way. Seems like they're very good at teaching you the, the entertainment aspect of Guys, this is a TV show. You know, this wrestling, but it's a wrestling TV show. They definitely want to make you aware of where to look, when to look. Yeah. And that's the one good thing, too, is like you're always knowing where hard cam works. You're always trying to like, even with calling matches, trying to how a run spot will look a lot better on TV and how like whatever the ending spot is to it on a high spot, like how it ends and looks on TV, what the facial shot is, getting that beauty shot on an entrance just finding those little things that you never thought about as a fan or even just growing up. Like there's a lot more that goes into it that a lot of fans I know out there think they know they don't know a lot. Just not to be in a, in a mean way to say it. It's just like, you just don't know. There's a lot that goes into it. Just enjoy what you're watching as a fan. And that's, that's, how, nice. I, that's how I still try to watch a lot of wrestling too. Like I try to watch every company and every product that's out there and I always try to watch the match as a fan because if I don't watch it that way, then I get angry or I'll sit there and I'm like, oh, why they do this? Why like because that's how I would like how I would have done something different. That's funny now. Like sometimes I'll watch you'll see Drew Mac there or somebody, but they'll go for a pin, but they'll make sure their face towards the camera or something. But you just kind of like as a fan start picking this stuff up, like, oh, it makes sense. Cause if it's like he's faced the other way, you can't get a good shot of him on in the pin. You just have his back. So some of it makes sense where it's like, okay, you gotta know where all the cameras are. Yeah. And that's one thing you're taught to. And the cameraman, that's somebody like I was told when you first get there, learn who the camera guys are, talk to commentary. And like, that's another thing as a wrestler too, is taking advantage of the teams that are out there. Cause you're all a team. You're all working together. And the referee, especially as well, the referee is a big part of the match that a lot of people uh, don't take advantage of. And a lot of fans as well. I don't think realize how much a referee goes into a match. Third man in the ring, right? Yep. Very important. So when do you start the, uh, Forgotten Sons with Wesley Blake. When does that gimmick start for you? So Blake and I, uh, they just got back from the tour of Japan and Australia that ended in California. I want to say that was 2016 and to 17. And then Blake was doing a beautiful Blake gimmick at that time. And I was doing America's Greatest Son where I was just being an asshole heel, just kind of rubbing 
thank yous in people's faces of like, oh, you want to thank me now for my service? Where were you years ago? Like type thing. Just kind of being a dick about it. Just a grizzled, angry vet of rubbing it back in your face. And Blake calls me. He goes, hey, because um, we've been riding down the road together for so long in NXT for shows for years. And um, even when him and Buddy were tagging. And he's just like, hey, uh, they they changed it up. I can't do the gimmick anymore. Do you really want to do this tag? I'm like, let's do it. I was like, tag division's open right now. Revival is just about their way up. Uh, Alpha just American Alpha just went up. And it's just kind of on the cusp of uh, pitching ideas. And we did a few or we did a good amount of PC shows just pitching ideas and different characters' ideas with promos. And then at that time, Street Profits, uh, Heavy Machinery, TM61, AOP, sanity like the tag division was just a huge bubble that could have been something so much bigger wasted opportunity i can maybe talk about that later on that but for the forgotten sons that's kind of where we generated our ideas at promo class and again that's where we just threw things at the wall blake and i click we have good chemistry and we did a funny promo the first time and they said okay cool can you be serious next week come in we do a serious promo okay cool that's very good all right, we need you to do a promo like this. Then we do a promo and then it kind of, we started looking at gimmicks and looking at ideas, what can make us different. And that's where I grew my hair out, grew my beard out, Blake grew his beard out. And then I was kind of taking the Sons of Anarchy look because a lot of people thought we were bikers at first. And that's the funny thing. It's like, no, we weren't trying to be bikers. We were just taking that grungy look and that grittiness that nobody had at that time because it was different from everybody. Everybody was trying to be kind of pretty and flashy except for Sanity and AOP was kind of like a, I don't know, Tokar and Razor from Ninja Turtles at that time, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But um, they were just two killers, and it's all right, cool. Well, we know we can bump around. We can do all the, the high flying stuff that we want to do, but we got to have our own look as well, and that's what kind of stood out. We uh, went to center stage in Atlanta for what was supposed to be our debut of 2018, uh, and that's where uh, the Dusty Cup was supposed to start. So we kick it off. We have a squash match. We beat the ever-living crap out of two guys. We cut a promo and announce that we're in the Dusty. And we come back, and it's just like a mixed vibe of, like, it was fucking really good. And then Hunter didn't like it. And then like every people, everybody was coming up to us with different uh, reactions. And then the next day, they come up to us, and uh, William Regal was one of the first people who goes, oh, I think we're going to cut the match just because um, they – booked it differently to where you guys were going to lose in the next round. And if we're debuting you as a new tag team, we don't want you to lose. So we're like, Oh, okay. Back to the drawing board of waiting. And then Blake wrestled Drew McIntyre at uh, pre-tape of takeover Chicago. I want to say it was, and it was supposed to be a reunite. Uh, that's how we were supposed to uh, click backstage on a pre-tape uh, for after the match. And I was supposed to wrestle Alistair Black that night. My match got scrapped. Blake did his match, but then I didn't end up ch traveling to Chicago for the pre-tape. So, I, okay, cool. Next tapings, we get there. Hunter comes to us letting us know we're going with this team. We're like, hell yeah, sweet. And then a few months more go by, and we're just kind of treading water. We're, like, trying to figure out where we fit in, and we're being told different things of, like, guys, we're trying to get you in. It's just doing it the right way. We're like, okay, cool. We appreciate that. And a lot of times at that time, you're going to TVs, and if you're not on, it's sometimes better to not be on when even though you're ready to go on. You just don't want to just be thrown into a shitty story and then just get lost in the mix. Lo and behold, we ended up getting lost in the mix. <laughs> right. 
But um, we had one of the road loops uh, and Steve Carino was a producer at, and that's where Chad kind of came into play, uh, Jackson Riker. And we did a six man and it was worked out pretty good. And Carino comes back. He goes, Hey, I think there's something with the three of you. So Riker's a Marine as well. And me and Chad got along. Well, all, all three of us, I should say, just got along for a long while. We all kind of clicked and we're okay, cool. So we get back and they said, Hey, we're going to put Riker with you guys. And we're going to go with this. Sweet. And then uh, another year goes by <laughs> and we day de uh, debut. I want to say September, or August, uh, September, August or October of 2019 against street profits as uh, the forgotten sons. And that was the night I got my face busted open. How'd that uh, happen? Uh, I was supposed to be a punt kick off the apron and I turned around and fed to it and ate a complete knee. And then it pushed my entire nose to this side of my face. Uh, I remember laying there, rolled over, had blood coming down. I walked around the ring. Blake tagged me. I went up, hit our finish, one, two, three. And I remember Riker looking at me. He goes, you good? I'm like, no, no, I'm not good. Just spitting blood. I'm like, this is a great debut. I was fired up, though. It felt great. Nah, but it was well-received in the back. And then, of course, that's where I started donning the mask for that yep. little run. But that's how the Forgotten Sons and that long gist of the story got what? there. Like what was the holdup though? Why like the stop start stop start? Triple H likes he doesn't like it. What what was going on? We don't know. Uh, I know a lot of things happened with injury and then just with booking because NXT was still an hour at that time. So you got to realize trying to get an hour TV show together and trying to squeeze all these different stories in is a very hard thing to do. And again, it's a TV show. People forget that. I feel like there should be more communication, like or better communication with with the well, boys. There is. It's just to a certain extent of where you're at on the totem pole type thing. Because hmm. um, he's going to have his guys and like any business, like even Vince has his guys and that's how it works. They, they pick who they're, this is who I want at this time. And that's kind of how it's booked around. You got to think back to Attitude Era. You had your, you had Austin. That was the first person probably always brought up in every meeting. And I've heard stories of that as well. Austin, Rock, Taker, Hunter. And then it's just a pecking order of like, this is the mainstay of what we have to book for TV. And then it kind of goes down the list and that's gotcha. where you find your way and you find your niche of getting on there. That's just, it's, you got to think it's a TV show. Gotcha. So the tag division, like you were kind of saying, not utilized correctly, but you named so many good tag teams. there. just yeah. odd that it was it one of those things where WB just can't get behind tag teams or they only push a few tag teams at a time. Like why the, the, you know, the misstep there. I don't know. Blake and I always talked about it too. We always, of course, on the road traveling, and everybody always asks. Like it was always with us too. Is like, what's going on with you guys? We're like, I don't know. <laughs> we don't like. We can't. You can't answer that because it's not our answer. We only can control what we can just by working our asses off and putting out the best matches we could, and doing what we were asked to do when we do out go and perform. But um, yeah, I don't know. I can't. I wish I could answer that question for you. It's just it's not my uh, not my TV show. It's just like, like, wow, this team. And then uh, Undisputed Era's in there. And then these guys. Yeah. And then, like, nothing against, like, nothing against any of those guys. They're brought, like, so that's why Blake and I kind of got into it, too, was as a tag, was like, all right, there's no other tag teams kind of coming up. And then here comes Era. Era comes in. And then in comes War Raiders, who are now the Viking Raiders. And it's just like, well, crap, you guys were just bringing all these singles guys in. So that's why I went to a tag division. And it's just, that's the way it is. And you're not going to fault those guys because they're all, they're all brothers. And, you're all we're all fighting for a spot on a television show, and they made the show so much better from what they did. Hunter had his creative idea, and look where it all went to. So, like, you can't 
You can't disagree or can't hate him for it. And then they'll put together like Alistair Black and Ricochet, which is not really a traditional tag team. What'd you think about that? Because that's just two single guys throwing them together and putting them in the Dusty Classic. Yeah, they were a lot of both of them are very fun to work with, very easy to work with too. But it was just one of those things like you just don't understand why. And it's just Hunter gets that idea. And I know ROH was running at uh, MSG that year. So that was his way of having that bigger show than going to compete against ROH at uh, the Garden that year. So, um, yeah, we never understood the booking on that with kind of um, how it went. We didn't, I don't, it didn't make sense for us because we're like, we're like, all right, cool. We're kind of making our way through the Dusty that year. And we're like, it makes sense if we go because we just got told that Alistair and Ricochet are getting called up. So why would like you go over? But then, of course, ROH is having that uh, show at the Garden and it's going head to head with Brooklyn uh, takeover for Mania that year. And of course, you have uh, the Viking Raiders and um, you have Ricochet and Alistair go over. So it makes a great match. I was saying a marquee, it's going to draw a lot of eyes and a lot of attention. But I think if we won that match, we would have got a, a good amount of heat and then it would have been a bit made it a lot more or less predictable of what was going to happen at that takeover match because, you know, Alistair and Ricochet were just announced for Raw uh, to wrestle, and it's just like – and they're in the tag match at Mania the next day. So it's just one of those things where it's just like, ah, you miss – like it was like one of those moments where it missed the trigger pull on us where it would have been an opportunity for us. But, again, like I said, it's not our show. It's just one of those things where Hunter had his idea, and that's what he wanted to go with. To me, it's but again, like, but again, though, like it was, it was great to wrestle in the Dusty Finals that year too, because I thought we killed it in the Dusty that year. Blake and I, uh, we had a lot of fun, and we were riding that wave. And I, of course, it came to an end at the end of the finals with Alistair and uh, Ricochet, but uh, two great talent that was a lot of fun and night off, and it's just so much fun work with guys like it's just easier in the ring with. Now. I'm maybe old school or whatever, but I always like it when the team beats two individuals. You know what I mean? Like, you guys are the team, the cohesive team. They yeah. should always beat the two individuals. Yeah, but what can you do? Like the first year you had Joe and Finn win, and then that turned into a storyline. Um, and then the next year I want to say it was AOP. And then, uh, yeah, so you have you have your tag teams. MSK just won this year. So yeah. there's your tag team that's there. So it, it, it has its moments, but, like, again, Hunter has his plan ahead of time. He's thinking months of in advance before he's even thinking of that moment because it's just leading to something else. But again, it's a TV show. And but yes, to your answer of qu the question of what I prefer a tag team, yes, because it's a tag team tournament. Why not have a tag team? Right, makes sense. So when do you guys get called up to the main roster? When do you get kind of uh, the phone call? We got the. We didn't even get the phone call. We got uh, pulled aside. It was our last match in NXT. It was against Grizzled Young Vets, actually, in February of well, last year. Yeah, before Mania at the PC era of COVID era. So yeah, over a year, over almost a year and a half ago, we had our last match with Grizzled Young Vets. Um, we kind of had the layout of the match done, and Hunter pulled us aside and just want to let you guys know that we're calling you guys up to SmackDown. We're Awesome. He goes, we need you to just go out there and make this team look great. Do what you got to do like you guys always do. And he's like, we're going to get you guys out there and a lot better angles of three ways. You got New Day up there. You got uh, the Usos and Roman. And that just got our hopes up because you get to go work with those guys now. And it was a cool moment just because we, I don't know, from the time that I was in NXT, you always wanted to work your way out of NXT. And it changed a lot with, once when NXT went to USA because then – now NXT is its own brand on USA, and you kind of, a lot of people want to stay there now. 
me, I always wanted out of there. I wanted Raw and SmackDown. I I loved NXT. I loved my time in NXT, but Raw and SmackDown is where I always saw myself, especially from being a little kid watching that. And you want to be there. You don't, I don't know. I just didn't have that time period of wanting to be in NXT still. More money too, right? I would imagine. Yeah, the money was, yeah, a lot more money. But the funny thing on the money thing is our contracts didn't uh, hit until this past January of main roster. And then two months later, I got let go. <laughs> really? How does that yeah. work? So we had a, so once COVID hit, we got called up and we said, hey, we're working on contracts. But as right now with COVID hitting, they had to take the budget cuts back. And they said, we're going to send you guys a contract, but it doesn't go into effect until January of 2021. So, okay, cool. But we still got paid our downside of NXT, but then we we're also getting paid uh, TV bonus extra for, we were pretty much making our upside for that, which still was great, great money. But it, uh, yeah, it didn't connect till uh, January of uh, 2021 this year. Oh, damn. That kind of sucks, right? A little bit. Yeah. I wish we were getting paid because a lot of the times for our main roster run, we were off TV. Uh, I think you know why, but. Yep. Yes, we'll get to that <laughs> in a second. But when you do get called up and, and you are there, do they tell you you got plans? So they're like, what are they kind of telling you? Yeah. Uh, so we were told we're coming up and we're going to just kind of, we'll debut on SmackDown. We really didn't get told much. And then we said we're going to film some new vignettes and whatnot. And it was kind of a letdown when we did get called up. And then obviously COVID hit. Uh, we we're supposed to uh, originally debut right after Mania. And then obviously COVID hit the whole PC era kind of happened. And again, a letdown, we debut in the PC. Granted, grateful for debuting on SmackDown, but a building that I've been in for almost seven years, we debut at with no fans. And it's just like, ah, oh, this just doesn't feel right type thing. But it was still a good moment, a great moment to just be out there. And we had uh, the Lucha House Party uh, for our first match. So it was a lot of fun. Just can't hate on it as much, but at the same time, it was still a little bit of a letdown. Do they tell you they want you to basically keep the same gimmick from NXT and just keep it going? Yeah, so it's kind of funny. Uh, they they didn't want us in wrestling tights or wrestling boots anymore. They wanted us in our full jeans like we were showing up to shows, showing up to pay-per-views and everything. We were just kind of showing up in our jeans, our vests, and whatever T-shirt we were wearing because it was just kind of we're living the gimmick. We wanted to look the part and play the part all the time while we're out. And, um, yeah, we switched to jeans. And, of course, here I am trying to find flexible – uh, bodybuilding style G's get them custom made and it was just a pain in the butt at first but it, we found our niche and they liked it they liked the grittiness and I thought again we had that different look of what you see on Smackdown at that time because you had New Day you had the Usos uh, Lucha House Party you have Miz and Morrison like everybody's got that flashy look and here we come in with beards and I shaved my head at that time just to look a little bit grittier and it was just uh, a different look and I thought we had something there do they give you any inclination of like, okay, we're giving you guys a push or no? No, you kind of just kind of saw the writing on the wall of how we were getting talked about and our promos and where it was going. Um, we were told we're going to New Day and uh, where that was going to kind of go. And even talking with Biggie and Kofi, they kind of let us, smartened us up to a lot of things. And they were so generous to us. Two great human beings and just two great professionals too, because it was the first time Blake and I ever had really, well, even on the main roster with anybody, just kind of was everybody was very generous in giving and open to just doing things and keeping us look strong because we're new and we're going to a certain story. And Big E was really good. Uh, and Kofi were a big part of that um, for that whole process. And it was a lot of fun with them. And I wish we got to tear it up. And we had a lot of ideas coming down the line. And then, of course, 
everything kind of happened uh, with the tweets. So, was it ever destined though to be tag team champions, or do you have yeah. no idea? No, yeah, we were. We we're uh, <laughs> we we're supposed to win them from uh, New Day, which uh, kind of sucks now thinking about it. But I, at the same time, uh, I try not to harp on it anymore. Um, it's a letdown, and it's obviously it's we know where it could have been, but then it's also wasn't meant to be. So they flat out tell you, or or you get you're kind of surmising. We're kind of figuring it out, and the way it was booked, and kind of talking with Biggie and Kofi, just kind of where we're kind of going with the story. And then even after we were taken off TV and saw Cesaro and Shinsuke get slid into it, and they won the titles at the next pay per view, and we would have been in extreme roles and going through tables and stuff. And I'm just sitting there just uh, chopping at the bit because all I ever want to do is that type of match sometimes too, just to get that little bit of a that Mick Foley in me out of my kid uh, self yeah, from, yeah. the garage out, but uh, doing all the hardcore stuff and having fun with that and just being creative with them too. But um, yeah, we saw kind of where the writing was going and just like I said, wasn't meant to be. So when Jackson Riker, Chad Lale, when he does that controversial tweet and obviously, you know, he, he not gets in trouble, so to speak, but I mean, just basically you guys get taken off TV and, and it's too much controversy. What are you guys thinking? Like what's going through your mind? Well, we're pissed. And at the same time, not like you can't be pissed because he was putting out his thoughts and what he felt. And you're all allowed to feel and say what we want to say. Uh, Blake and I both distanced ourselves pretty quickly from kind of what transpired after the tweet of what was brought up after and what people dug up. But uh, I've said in previous interviews um, that you're allowed to say what you want to say. It's a free country and Twitter and social media and across all spectrums, you can say what you want to say out there, but obviously there's repercussions. Uh, this is one of those things where once we distance ourselves, we tried to get in there and talk to everybody and everybody was pretty good with Blake and I well, was good with Blake and I. Just obviously, uh, we were getting smoke blown up to us from the office, just saying everything's going to be all right. You'll be back on TV soon. And you kind of knew the way it was talked to us from Mark Carano. Like, it was like, I don't, I don't trust what you're saying right now, but whatever. We'll just go with it, I guess. And uh, for, again, for months, we were pitching ideas, trying to get back on TV. And it was just one of those things where, like, yeah, we saw where the writing was going. And once uh, Big E sent me a text one time, it was like, hey, man, it's going to Shinsuke and uh, – Cesaro in the next uh, angle, he's like, since you guys been out for almost three, four weeks, they just kind of let us know. And we kept in touch with the writers. And then just for Big E to even keep us up to date was always good because he and I stayed in close contact after everything kind of happened. And we came kind of close there too, which was nice. Do you get like residual heat because you were partners with him, but not necessarily friends with him, but because you're partners with him on TV, do you get the heat? No, um, no heat. It's just – we. We came in the next day right after everything kind of happened. And uh, we were just kind of like trying to show face like, uh, listen, this isn't us. Like, that's his thought process. I don't think that way. I don't believe that. I, I, yeah, I just don't believe that way. Um, and not, like I said, though, everybody's allowed to have their own opinion on things. And that's, that's fine. But I don't think that way sometimes. Well, not sometimes, all the time. Um, but yeah, no residual heat, but obviously we got the heat for it from the internet and from the political standpoint on uh, the PR standpoint. Yep. So was there any way where he's just maybe off and you guys come back and start? We pitched, we, we pitched that and we were also told that, but then obviously it didn't work out. We pitched of even jumping him to turn babyface. 
But it was just like, because I, I would have popped at it as a crowd. I would be like, oh, cool. But like, it was just one of those things where we pitched so many ideas, even pitch him getting injured. He gets hit by a car or something out. I don't whatever. Just something yep. to where he's out for a little bit and then he comes back later on. And uh, we were just at the drawing board again. And we were told, no, nope, we're going to keep the same look. And for months, we were in contact with Bruce Pritchard uh, with the creative process. And it's just like, nope, same look. Everything you guys got, we're just waiting for the proper time. And then proper time never kind of really happened. Do you have, like, heat with him, like you and him? Like, being mad at him kind of, you know, ruined the, the plan. No. Oh, excuse me. No, at first, obviously angry because here I am walking my dogs and then getting a bunch of texts and phone calls and my Twitter and everything blowing up of calling me a racist uh, for the Forgotten Sons. And I'm just like, what the hell? And me and D are literally outside walking the dogs. and I'm just minding my own business, enjoying my life, waiting to go to work next week. And I'm just like, oh, come on. And it's just one of those things where it's just we were lumped into it uh, from – a standpoint of the tag team and being a trio. And originally the free bird rule is what we want to kind of always have, but yeah, kind of screwed the pooch on that one. And is there anything with like, um, we're going to bring you guys back. Uh, you're going to be Baron Corbin. Like, is there any sort of, you know, maturation where they're, where they're going to definitely use you to do something? Not until we were out for about eight months and Blake and I were pitching ideas. Like I said, just week after week, I pitched an idea of us as a new version of APA where we kind of wanted to like still be us where, but we'd be doing things in the back and then we were pitching ideas for with Farouk and Bradshaw to even be there. And obviously nothing came of it, but just to get like, you get the legends were coming on TV at that time and just getting better airtime for having no crowds. I was sorry, how can we make this work? How can we make this work? And just nothing was sticking to them and it was keeping us off TV. So once uh, Raw and SmackDown moved to the Amway, uh, for the Thunderdome, that's where Blake and I just were fed up. And I was like, dude, we got to go in. Like, we need a face-to-face. -face. I'm sick of emails. I'm sick of no return phone calls. And let's just go in, go face-to-face -face and just talk. And we did. We waited around Vince's office. Obviously, we uh, waited a couple weeks. And one of the weeks, uh, Mark Carano came to us and said, hey, Vince doesn't like it when uh, you guys are kind of waiting at his office. So if you can go wait in catering. And we just called bullshit right away. Uh, he's like, we don't want you to get any kind of heat. I'm like, uh-huh, you know, whatever. I, I I know this game. If talent's telling me as they're walking by, you guys are in the right place, I know I'm doing the right thing. Um, so it was just a shitty situation. But we finally got to sit down with Bruce Pritchard and creative and kind of talk about who we are. We had a packet of ideas of who we wanted to come in as, different looks and different things uh, we pitched. And then I want to say us coming in, showing face-to-face, -face, let them kind of like, all right, we got to do something with these guys. And that's where we got told, hey, we're going to have this idea of you guys with Corbin. This might be happening. So, of course, I reached out to Corbin uh, from, obviously, our time in NXT. We all knew each other. So, we just kind of were bouncing ideas. And he was kind of going more that kingpin route of, uh, like, uh, Wilson Fisk and Daredevil. So, okay, cool. He's kind of going away from the king thing. And then I was, all right, we'll be like hitmen. So, we we're trying to come up with the ideas of how would a hitman look and here I am looking at Punisher stuff or just even the Hitman character from the video game. And we're going off looks of that. And then a week before we're supposed to like, Hey, we're bringing you guys to SmackDown. We want to kind of like figure out, uh, we're going to get you guys on TV this week. Okay, cool. Like, how do you want us to look? Creative sends us uh, a look of a bunch of different NBA players wearing suits and hoodies. One of them is LeBron James wearing like this lime green hoodie and a friggin' like tailored suit over it. We're like, what the hell is this? 
<laughs> what is? I'm like, that's not like not cool, but all right, whatever. Like, so we brought in Blake wore that idea of a hoodie and the suit. I wore the Hitman of a polo, nice slacks, dress shoes, and just kind of ready to go. And of course, we get brought in. Uh, Bruce Pritchard and Vince are there, and uh, Vince is like, "Well, Bruce, which one do you like?" Bruce liked the one with the suit and the hoodie, and of course, all of us just kind of like didn't look at each other, didn't try to sell it. We're just kind of like, "Shit, <laughs> all right, whatever, we'll make it work." Yep. So it was one of those things, and then of course they go, "Hey, you got to lose the beards," and we're like, "Oh, come on!" So here we go, right over to the maestro guy, at, uh, the barber that's at TVs all the time. He just shaves us off, so we have our full beards are there. Blake cuts his hair a little bit. I got cleaned up, and here we come looking like two different, completely looking human beings. Went in all grizzled looking and gritty and came out looking like babies again. Yep, looking like everybody else. Yeah, well. Man, it's a, the creative process there seems like it's a bit tough. Like Carano's giving you false information. Uh, Bruce sometimes is giving you kind of like the runaround or, you know, Vince is hard well, to get it to. It wasn't much of a runaround. It's just getting it to Vince and then coming back. Because, like, again, like I said before, they have priorities and, like, they have those creative meetings and – you have your top stars of Roman and who you're putting up top. And then it's like, all right, well, Blake and Cutler don't fit in there, obviously. So we're going to be down here in the pecking order. So it's, you got to realize it's a TV show still and it's a business. And that's where you got to just pick your battles and you don't fight it. You just kind of go with the flow with it until you can go out there and kill it and do what you're supposed to do. They say, or the, a lot of the old school guys say it was a lot easier to talk to Vince back in the day. Now he seems like he's got this uh, blockade up where it's tough to reach him, tough to get him one-on-one. I know he's even busier now because obviously, you know, he's got all these other things, billion dollar deal here. This is going on. So is that true? Is he just impossible to get to? And maybe years ago it was easier to get to him. Uh, I don't know about years ago. Cause obviously I wasn't around at that time, but like right. now it's just finding the time to talk to him where you're sitting outside his office or try to reach him. If he's not on his phone or, just kind of walking by or even talking to him after at gorilla. Like that's a lot of the times where I had most face to face with Vince was after gorilla. Cause once you're there, you just kind of, anytime we went out with Corbin, we just kind of stood there and like, I would wait till afterwards and we just kind of shake his hand and just thank him to be respectful in that aspect. It's like, he just let us go out and do our job on live TV, but that's, you, you just kind of find your ways to talk to him. So there was a great story. I guess it was demolition acts. Bill Eady would say, you know, to like the agents and stuff like, Oh no, you can't, you know, you, don't talk to Vince. You got to wait. And he would just go around them and just go in and talk to him. But of course he, then he would get all the heat with all the agents that he just, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, uh, you you're know. jumping the chain of command in a way, but there's really no chain. It's just finding your, like picking your battles. Yep. So but a lot of the agents now, like they'll go to bat for you too, which is great. But obviously Mark Carano is gone and, and, you know, there's been a few stories that came out about him. So why is he giving you guys kind of like false information? Is that just the way he is? I, I don't know. I just, he's one of those guys that I just, anytime he talked to me, I didn't trust what he was saying. So I kind of knew where it was. And I've also heard horror stories from other people too, of don't trust him. So I didn't, I just took it. I was just being respectful for for his position of where he was. And I knew I had to work with him. So if I'm working with you, I'm going to treat you with respect. So basically you guys are, are going to be kind of used on TV, but not much, right? I mean, you guys. No, we're originally just going to be Corbin's kind of uh, his bodyguards and his hitmen. And it was morphed into just us kind of being there at one time. And then obviously with COVID, everything kind of hit as well. 
and this kind of leads into obviously my firing, but um, uh, we were going into the storyline with the Mysterios and Murphy. Mysterios caught COVID, so I took them off TV for a few weeks, and then Murphy caught uh, COVID, so then that kind of scrapped the storyline. And then obviously I got COVID, um, and then that scrapped kind of everything. So, so were you shocked with the release though? Because I mean, you have COVID, obviously, you know, you're home, and all of a sudden you get released. Yeah, um, I did not expect to get let go. Um, I, from what I found out, obviously, you've probably heard my interview with John Rossap, and uh, yep. I'm cool. Um, it was one of those things where Thursday uh, was New Year's Eve, went to a party with some friends um, that I've been around the entire time in COVID that I work with, all have been tested. Uh, normally, that's just kind of we were smart about it, and we were only around people that who have been tested, and we know that are not obviously positive. We can hang around with that has positive COVID. Um, just an idiot. Right. But, um, go to TVs the next day. I test negative. I'm like, okay, cool. Monday comes around and uh, we get a text from one of our friends with the party. He's like, hey, I tested positive for COVID. You guys should go get checked out. Okay, cool. So Deanna and I go get tested and uh, test negative. Go to uh, go to TV. I have no symptoms the whole week. Go to TV that Friday and I test positive and I still have no symptoms. And I'm like, well, shit, what do I do? Uh, so they give me the information for the doctor. Doctor calls me. Hey, you have to quarantine. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll call the writers, let them know. Blake tested negative, obviously, so he stayed with Corbin. I let Corbin know. He goes, oh, well, that sucks. Oh, whatever. It's fixable. And it, it is. Like, there's ways to write. It's TV. You can write around it. And then uh, from what I found out was that Vince fired me in that meeting that day because he was just – it was one of those days where if you were the first person to really piss Vince off with anything, you are probably going to get fired. And I've heard those horror stories. I'm sure you've heard those horror stories. If you sneeze wrong or do something yep. in a way, if you catch him in a bad mood, you're kind of done. So – that horror story came to life with me. And um, yes, yeah, so that was one of those things. But as I'm driving home, Blake's kind of texting me, letting me know like, hey, uh, did you do something previously to piss uh, Vince off or somebody in the office off? I'm like, no, why? He goes, it just feels like there's a lot of heat. And a lot of people are kind of like saying things to me that are just like, ah, oh, your partner in that photo. And I'm like, what is it? What are they talking about? So that's where I text Mark Carano because I didn't know at this time Mark Carano's talent relations show. I'm like, hey, if there's a problem with me, like, please let me know. Feel free to call me. I'm just kind of on my way home. Obviously, you know, I, uh, with medical, uh, they probably contact you. Let you know I tested positive. And uh, but please feel free to call me. I don't know what's kind of going on. I'm hearing some things. Just I, I please, I would like to talk. Never get a response. Nothing. Blake got told to leave. Corbin ended up going out to TV by himself on that episode, and then that's kind of where everything went downhill. Uh, we were off TV. I did my quarantine. We kept in touch with the writers and they said, no, you guys are fine. Like we're bringing you guys back. It's just waiting for you to get out of quarantine and we'll get you back on TV. And we're trying to go back to this angle And Okay, cool. Sweet. No worries. And then a few weeks go by and still really no answers. We're talking with our writer and he's like, yeah, you just, we're trying to get this up in the meeting. And obviously we're still trying to do things in the pecking order again of how they get the things. Nobody really has an answer for us. So I'm all right, whatever. I reach out to Mark Carano um, and he actually got back to me uh, because I asked him a simple question of, hey, is there any way I can go to the PC and train? Because Otis was asking me if I can help out with the big man class and he's got to bump around for him a little bit, just kind of keep his wind up and helps me get in the ring as well instead of going to 2.0. I get to go to the PC where I know everybody and the medical staff's there and I know everybody's clean uh, from COVID, doesn't have COVID. He's like, yeah, sure, no problem. I'm like, hey, and also, and then he never gave me another answer. Hmm on what's going on with us. 
So of course, uh, week the next week, I get there that Wednesday, and this is the day I got let go. I get to the PC around uh, 11:30, and then I'm in the ring. I get done in the ring, and I go look at my phone. It's Carano. He's like, "Hey, Steve, you have a minute?" I'm like, "Oh, sweet. He's finally getting back to me. Let me know what's probably going on for Friday." And I text him, "Hey, Mark, I'm just leaving the PC now. Are you free to call now?" And he goes, oh, "I'm just getting on a flight to Tampa." He's like, "I really need to talk to you all in a little bit." So then the kind of wheel goes in my head. I'm like. Am I getting fired or what's going on? It just felt like it just was like one of those ones where it's like mm, something's off on this. So I get home. We're kind of hanging around. He calls me around 730 and uh, he's like, hey, I hate making these calls. And I'm like, oh, fuck. But uh, we, I, I've got to come to terms. We have to give you 90 days. Uh, at this time, creative has nothing for you. I'm like, I don't believe that I'm calling bullshit. Let him have his uh, piece. Uh, Deanna was obviously standing next to me. She said, what's the matter? I'm getting, I obviously put it on mute. I'm like, I'm getting fired. And she's like, like she's, she flipped out a little bit yeah. just because she knows the process. We just went through the whole year yeah. trying to get back on TV. And we're sitting there and of course I have him on speaker and she's listening in. And it's just one of those moments where it just sucked. Cause I know I was fired for something so stupid and made an example of, uh, but it wouldn't be said at the same time, whatever uh, blessing in disguise. Uh, but it was funny for me to just be able to air my grievances to Carano. He told me I could fight for my job if I wanted to. Um, if I wanted to reach out for legal uh, obligations on it, it would just cost me more money. There's no reason to fight. I'm like, uh-huh. I'm like, I don't really care. I was like, you already told me creative has nothing for me. And I'm like, is my partner fired? And he's like, no, no, Blake's still here. I'm like, well, if creative has nothing for me, then obviously creative has nothing for him. So you already answered my own question of what I need to know. And I'm like, so if creative has nothing for me as well, what about the few months, the past year that I've been pitching ideas from us being taken off TV with Riker? He's like, listen, everything you're saying, it's true, but I have to tell you at this time that creative has nothing for you. I'm like, okay, thank you. So I sent a text to Hunter. Uh, he reached back to me and then we just kind of never linked back up. But just I wanted to end my relationship with WWE at that time because I know it's an open door policy. And hopefully the door is open always for down there, down the road. But I didn't want Mark Carano to be my last outlet of a conversation for a company that I was just with for seven years. Right. That I feel I gave a lot to, which they gave a lot to me, too, which is great. They gave me so many tools, so many. They gave me my house like they didn't give me my house, but like they gave me the opportunity to go buy a house. And that's one of the things I made a living. I was paid weekly, never missed a check. So it's one of those things where still I was taken well care of. There's no reason for me to bury them because they did a lot for me. They taught me a lot. Now I get to go show the world what I know and what I can do. True. Now, what was the example? Like, did, was it the New Year's Eve photo? Is that that's like what they wanted? Yes. Yeah, so, so supposedly that was stooged off, I guess, to Carano, and then Carano. I don't know how it was brought up. I don't know the full story on that end, but I, from what I was told, it was a photo of me and Diana on my Instagram with us maskless uh, at a party. But uh, supposedly at that time too, there was another party in NXT that everybody thought that was at that party that we were at that party. And then of course the world of internet. Uh, playing the telephone game in the wrestling world of like, oh, it was Steve and Deanna's party. It was, it was not our party. Hmm. Uh, but it's just one of those things like, listen, we took precaution the entire time. I live in an open state in Florida. We have a very open policy, but we're also smart about it. We only stayed around people, and we still do pretty much, around people that we know are tested positive or tested negative. And it's just one of those things where we we kind of – it's we're living our life. And um, granted, did it shoot me in the foot a little bit? Yeah, but – 
I'm not going to regret it. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. And obviously if it didn't work out now, it didn't work out now. It wasn't meant to be again. Like I said earlier with the tag titles, wasn't meant to be. What is that creative doesn't have anything for you? That seems like such a generic line that they always use that so many wrestlers kind of made into a joke. I know Cabana, Cole Cabana was doing like a series, making a joke out of it. What is that though? I mean, is that just an excuse? It's just, I don't know. I, I think it's their just their easiest way out of having a legal way of saying at this time WWE Creative has nothing for you, and because technically we are independent contractors, uh, but even though we're under salary with WWE that way, but um, yeah, it's shit. It was shitty to hear that because I'm like that's bullshit because we just got merch. We literally have hoodies that say Knights of the Lone Wolf with the logo. Yep. I'm just like, oh, okay. We just had our gear made. Our gear just came in. Like we were ready to go. Blake and I were getting ready to tag and then just kind of everything fell apart. And, so it, basically, sucked. and it sucked too. Cause we stayed in touch with Corbin and Corbin could have get us answers either. He was fishing and he goes, dude, I, I don't know what's going on. So it's just, everybody was left in the dark about it. And obviously we would have probably got an easier answer. I know uh, Vince's brother passed away and sorry for his loss on that. And he was gone from TV. Um, and that probably would have, sped up my fire and process maybe a little bit quicker and not dragged us out a little bit, but it was just one of those annoying things where like, here we are again, just sitting on the sidelines waiting. And I'm like, we just started pitching ideas again. So basically Vince kind of on a whim, didn't like that picture or whatever Carano stooged off and, and it's over just because Vince boom, he's just done. I, I just think it was probably one of the standpoints too, because I know he was taking care of a lot of the talent at the time with COVID I don't think it was the photo. I think it was probably just stooged off and it got heat that way at the same time, but brought up in the meeting. But it's just one of those things where he's taking precaution. I was made the example of, and it, it's okay. I, it only takes one to usually screw up. And I, obviously I screwed up in the, in the boss's eyes. So with Roman Reigns, that, that like rumor comes out there. Oh, Reigns was pissed about it or Vince was pissed because Reigns could get sick or something. Is that even like remotely true? Or is that just bullshit that people just make up? Probably bullshit that was made up. Uh, I don't know. I, at the same time, I don't. I apologize if, if if was something that annoyed somebody. I don't know, but there's nothing I can do about it. I'm sorry that it was taken in a different way. Um, but like I said, I was made the example of, and so be it. It's opened up my mind and made it a blessing in disguise for me because now I get to go create and be me. I love it, and. A buddy of mine and, and now buddy yours, Matt Coon, was making uh, some music for you, I see. That's pretty cool. I released that on my YouTube page. So funny. I never had a YouTube page. Really, I love – so. like I'm not a big fan of social media, but now Deanna's got me getting into social media a lot more too and getting better at it as well because it's its own different way of marketing. And that's the one thing is as, as a wrestler, especially on independence and then for, even for companies in general, that's just a way of marketing yourself. It's a lot easier way to get eyes on you than it is if you're going to be on TV every week. Yep. I think Matt does her theme song as well, right? Yes. Matt, he, he kicked ass. I sent him an example, and then we just kind of went through the process of finding what worked, what didn't work. And I can't wait to hear it in a live setting with a live crowd just because I like listening to it, especially like trying to, like I said earlier, I probably look like a psychopath in the gym, but here I am playing my music while I'm lifting and then in between sets kind of like, all right, how would I do this in an entrance? How am I going to act? How, what's my pacing? Like, so it's just one of those things of, like I said, it's a blessing in disguise of what happened. Cause now I get to find more of me and maybe this is the push that I did need the entire time. I kind of been thinking of it that way as well. And it's opened up so many different avenues for me and it's allowed me to be home more, 
which is even uh, better and allowed us to kind of move into our house and settle in a lot easier. But so I'm looking, good. good. I'm yeah. looking forward to the future. Uh, the future is going to be pretty bright. So I'm looking, I'm very happy. It's yeah, so some positive is definitely coming out of it. Yes. There's a lot of positive coming out of it, especially just even on the front now too, with Blake getting let go. And obviously we saw the writing on the wall where it happened with me. Cause he was just like, well, what do they have for me? And I'm like, well, I don't know, brother. And he started throwing ideas again, but then he kind of was just getting smoke blown at him, and we kind of knew. So, so what do you got coming up, though? What's what's the plan? Do you know where you want to go, or not yet? We don't know. That's the one thing is I don't want to tell anybody anything. You'll see me when you see me, type thing. Nice. Okay, I like that. Independence. I know I got some bookings coming up. I'll be in uh, Texas for a few in um, June, and uh, I want to say August. I have a couple of dates booked out. They haven't promoted anything yet, but I'll be on those out in Texas with, um, so that'd be fun. And just with the whole world opening up and independent scene, it's just kind of uh, the wrestling bubbles about to blow up. I, I feel that at least because everybody wants to go to live, live events and see live shows and just yep. be entertained again. And I think that's the one thing like you could see it on last night on blood and guts, that crowd was hot and fiery and it was into it no matter what they did. It's funny. I read it was like fifteen hundred people. I was like, "Wow!" It sounded like way more. They were nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at look at even UFC running there. That play that crowd was hot that night, and that's the thing. Everybody just wants to get up and get out. So true. And I was trying to get concert tickets. My brother's trying to get concert tickets. It's like sold out, sold out. Like you're you're number three thousand in the queue or something. Like holy shit, there's a lot of people out there. They want to get out. Yeah. The world wants to open up again. I think it's get people are getting kind of sick of sitting around and kind of waiting, even though it's you want to be cautious and be safe about it too. With everybody getting vaccinations and everything, I think it's the smart thing to do and still be kind of smart with it. But at the same time, you want to live your life. I think people are getting ready to do that. And obviously, Texas and Florida are the two most open states. That's kind of where everything's kind of going right now. Yep. So as we head towards the finish, head towards the wind down here. Where do you see yourself in a few years? Like, where do you want to be? Where do you see yourself? Um, how successful do you see, you know, you, the Steve Macklin brand being? Steve Macklin, well, obviously I want my name to be out there and I want people to obviously be talking about me, which I think will happen. Uh, I'd love to wrestle in Japan. Obviously, Impact is a goal of mine. Um, and, uh, MLW is another one of those right now. There's a lot of talent everywhere. Uh yeah, just I'm excited. Japan, I think, is one of those things, too, just because uh, being in NXT with a lot of guys that have been in Japan and just been around the world. ROH is another one to uh, possibly get a foot in the door there at some point. It would be great to work there. But uh, with TM61, the mighty, um, with uh, Mikey Nichols and Shane Thorne, uh, they both would always tell us, and we don't. We got to work with them a few times in NXT, and we just always talked about wrestling in Japan against each other, or just even together. So that's one of those goals down the road. Eventually, one day was hopefully get that. But obviously, there's only three of us out there right now. And Shane's still there. Slapjack, he's on SmackDown. I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. But uh, we could have a nice reunion of our uh, little Lawbreakers click we have. Nice, I like that. Where yeah. can everybody uh, find? You? Where's your YouTube page? Your uh, your YouTube Twitter page is obviously Steve Macklin on YouTube. Uh, my Twitter and my Instagram are at Steve Macklin. Very basic, very easy to find. And uh, pretty soon you'll be seeing me kind of everywhere. I love it. Uh, one last thing, go Giants. I want to just throw that oh, out there. Big Giants. Were you happy with the draft? 
Love it. Tony, uh, the guy I wanted, and it's funny because um, Devontae Smith, everyone's saying that's who he's too small. I think he weighs 30 pounds less than Tony and Tony is faster than him. So it's like, yeah. I don't know. That's the guy I want. And Aziz was the, was the other guy I wanted, which is yeah. funny. Well, I'm, glad, I'm very happy. They drafted uh, very heavily defensively too this year. And then it also with the draft picks for next year as well, helps out a lot in the long run. You can tell they're in that bubble of the five to uh, yeah, that four or five year mark right now with Jones and Saquon. Like this is obviously the time the Giants have to yep. push for it, and I think I think they're building the team, especially the defense. Towards the end last year was getting really really good, and Blake Martinez is uh, probably my favorite player right now on the Giants. Love it, love him. Uh, Peppers was great. Uh, yeah. I just I know they uh, Leonard Williams was awesome, and I love how they kind of moved him out to D end a little bit, and he got ten sacks. It's like man, they kind of rocking and rolling here, and. and Definitely adding Aziz is good, and, and yeah. the uh, the other guy, uh, what's his name, Smith. I think he's going to be pretty good, just because he's got that JPP vibe to him, where he's just like this big freak. Yeah, we're getting uh, they got a lot of young talent too, which is great. I'm I'm looking forward as a Giants fan. I'm looking forward to it. And then the Yanks are finally on a winning streak, which is great. Thank God. Oh man, being in the last place for a while that was very frustrating. Yeah. It's like, oh, how, like it's I guess they're going to suck this year, but maybe not. No, baseball doesn't start till July. Yeah, it's true. That is true. It's too early. Yeah. But again, thank you for having me on. And again, to everybody out there at Steve Macklin on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Steve Macklin on YouTube, and uh, my pro wrestling tea stores as well as up Steve Macklin store. And uh, again, thank you for having me on the two man power trip. Probably one of my favorite tag teams that didn't end up going anywhere because Hunter got hurt. Yes, true. Him and him and Stone Cold. Yes, Steve. Thank you though for all the time. Really appreciate. It. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.